Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Hey, Intimates. I wanted to do a Halloween episode because it's such a popular holiday and I've been challenging myself to create more and more premium content and release special episodes around festivals or holidays. It turned into a Diwali episode because despite being descended from a Roman Catholic family on my non-Indian side, I have been far more interested in that Indian heritage recently. This year, I'm celebrating both dates. Before we get into the Indian celebration, I do my best in the first five minutes to try and do justice to All Hallowtide, the Roman Catholic three-day festival, where Hallow's Evening or Halloween is just one part on October 31st, involving a vigil for Catholic saints in heaven, because Hallow's is synonymous with saints. Irene joins me as my guest today as an Indo-Canadian woman who hasn't lived in India like I have, but who has, in my opinion, had a far more traditional Indian upbringing as I haven't. Our different perspectives as parts of the Indian diaspora hopefully offer one incomplete and imperfect portrait, if you will, of folks grappling with culture and community in a very Canadian way, perhaps slightly distanced from it for likely different reasons, balancing different ideas of what it means to be from a place and practicing culture as a sort of form of identity, in my case, as a form of strength. If you want to learn more about this piece of culture, you can feel free to Wikipedia, Diwali, or the Ramayana, and, or throw it into Google. There are some great pictures online, um, or you might find better luck looking for the Indian Festival of Lights. I wish you all a happy Diwali and many cozy autumn evenings with friends and family. Enjoy the episode, Intimates. Welcome to another session of Intimate Interactions. I am here with Irene, an awesome queer educator who does all kinds of sex blogging over at thedaisyvibes.com. Um, Irene, did you want to introduce yourself? Did I miss anything? <laughs> Hi. No, I think you I think you actually got that pretty much on on the money. That's Sweet. that is me and that is what I do. Awesome. I did not want to overspeak. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're all good. Awesome. Um, so I wanted to do a quick intro before we delve into Diwali, talking a little bit about um, Halloween. So being a mixed race Indo-Canadian that is also part British, um, it is super interesting to me to look at various different traditions about um, the essentially the triumph of light in, in, in one way or another. In the Christian tradition, it's focused more on um, the success of, of the soul over death. But of course, mm -hmm. this is through this incredibly Christian lens. Did you know that Halloween is actually part of a three-day Christian celebration? But wasn't it originally pagan? Yeah, I mean, there's Samhain okay. for sure, which is like okay. the original pagan celebration. Um, right. But then there was a Christian celebration that got moved, of course, over top of it. It's it's always a cut and paste. 
<laughs> um, with them. And it's and it's a three day celebration. I, it's I a did three not know So what ends up happening? Um, and there's a lot of conjecture over what should happen if one of the days falls on a Sunday. It's complicated. Um, but basically, <laughs> Catholics um, have this celebration of quote unquote the faithful, which is to say baptized hmm. Catholics. Okay. And there's this really neat idea of indulgences. Mm-hmm. So the basic idea is Halloween um, or All Hallows Eve. Um, Hallows is a synonym for saints. So sometimes okay. instead of All Hallows evening it, um, and then All Hallows Day the next day, it would be called All Saints Day. Oh, okay. So, I've heard of All Saints Day. Right. So that's actually part of the same celebration that Halloween is part of, which is part of All Hallow Tide, I think it's called. I feel like I really oh. should have written more of this down, but I remember being fascinated <laughs> when I did the research. But let, let me look at my notes. So what I actually did write down. Um, oh, yeah. So it is called All Hallow Tide. I was right. Okay. Um, so there's All Hallows Evening, which is the evening before. And mm-hmm. that is essentially a vigil for all the Catholic saints in heaven. And then November 1st is All Saints Day, which is... I guess I think they're also called the Church's Triumphant, which is like a celebration of all the known and unknown saints that sort of have made it to heaven. And then November 2nd, the day afterwards, is called All Souls Day. And that's for baptized Catholics who haven't made it into heaven yet. And this is hotly debated amongst various different Christian sects um, that may or may not be in this place called purgatory. Mm -hmm. So they're sometimes called the Church's Penitent. And and I, I shit you not, the book is actually called The Enchiridion of Indulgences. Oh, the, my goodness. Right. Okay. So there is a book called The Enchiridion of Indulgences, and it specifies that indulgences are only applicable to faithful souls and only if they're still in purgatory and haven't either gone to hell or heaven yet. Oh, my God. This is so confusing. It's so European bureaucracy, if I have ever heard European bureaucracy. <laughs> It's like literally we have to make up rules, but it's, but what's kind of fun about it, if you can even call it that, is an indulgence is only applicable, um, essentially, if a faithful visit, that that's again, a baptized Catholic, visits a person's grave and prays for them in a cemetery. They're essentially asking God to uplift this person in purgatory into heaven. But like, I... I... <laughs> I have so many questions and I don't want them answered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay, fair enough. Um, and that's enough about Catholicism. My, my brain hurts now. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's again, very, very almost capitalistic, very ledger-based, very... Yeah. Um, it's it's a lot of the things that, that I try and lean away from in the show, but I think it's it's interesting to talk about because there are so many different festivals and they all tend to line up with this um, this autumn harvest, okay, we're all bunkering down for the winter, let's all support each other and not get depressed holidays, mm-hmm. which is like Samhain, um, if you want to look that up more, it's spelled S-A-M-H-A-N-E, I think. Um, you can always look up All Hallow Tide on Wikipedia. And of course, what we're here to talk about today, Diwali. Yay. Well, yeah, and it's funny because Diwali always seems to fall around Halloween too. So I appreciate that tie-in. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, growing up here, I've always, it's always been like Diwali and Halloween all at the same time. And yeah, I've, I've lived both simultaneously. Right. 
And I, re I respect that as well, being having a mixed race heritage where, where both yeah. of those traditions were sort of imparted to me. Do you want to start by giving us um, a brief explanation for, for those of us who aren't more in the know about Diwali, what exactly it is in like a paragraph or less? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I've, I've answered a lot of questions to well-meaning white folks and the way I've simplified it is um, Diwali is kind of like the Hindu new year. I mean, it, is the Hindu New Year? It's the, it is considered that way for the calendar. Um, you know, uh, it's traditionally when businesses will close their books for the physical year or fiscal year, not physical fiscal. <laughs> um, and you know, so they'll they'll do things like that. Um, so you can consider it a Hindu New Year. Um, it's uh, often called you know a celebration of light and triumph triumph over evil. I think there's a little bit more nuance to be found than just that much, but um, that is definitely a part of it. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of, that's kind of what, that kind of sums it up, I think. Mm. Generally, that's my less than a paragraph version. I like it. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just trying to think of how to tie this into, to segue into my next question. So in, in the context of, of Diwali sort of being the, the new year, there mm -hmm. are, all of these themes about the triumph of light over darkness. Mm -hmm. And from my understanding, it's also based in um, part of the Sanskrit history of India, sometimes called the Itihasa, which, which is made up of the Bhagavad Gita and the Ramayana. But specifically okay. in this case, Diwali is related to the Ramayana. And I remember you telling me a really cool story about why people light oil lamps um, sometimes on Diwali as one of their traditions. Would you be interested in telling that story now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a couple of reasons why. Uh, the one that I know of, so I, I'm not, you know, very hip with my Bhagavad Gita and my Ramayana. I know Ramayana because that's my favorite story. Sure. I don't, I, I don't know Bhagavad Gita. If you gave me a quiz on the Bhagavad Gita, I'd feel, I'd fail it. I don't know too much about my Itihasas. Um, it wasn't until you used that word for the first time that I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that word is. That's totally fair. <laughs> so all of that aside, um, one of the stories that I do know that comes from the Ramayana is, um, in, in the Ramayana, Lord Ram or Lord Rama, um, is, Ram, Ramachandra. For, is it Rama? I don't even I think, know. I you. think it's, I think you, you both are correct. Lord Ram and Lord Rama, both are correct. Um, but to distinguish this Rama from other Ramas, Ramachandra is used. Oh, interesting. But Lord Ram is a hundred percent correct. You're totally right. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to be nerdy unnecessarily. <laughs> um, but yes, so um, he has uh, been exiled for 14 years um, and is returning to um, his town i guess you could call it of ayodhya and um the villagers he, he's very beloved by his people um so even though he was an exiled crown prince um or king i, I don't quite recall um he was very beloved and so when word arrived that he was returning to town all of the villagers um lit little dias or oil lamps um to to welcome him back and to light the way home um, and so Rama is considered a bit of a, a hero. So it's, you know, like triumph and success and light and all that stuff. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the story as well. Some of it does seem a little bit simplistic in its approaches to morality, but I also think part of that has happened in an effort to make it extremely accessible to children. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. 
Um, and I, I knew that like, that was a story that I learned as a child. Mm-hmm. I was able to recite a very version of the whole manna. And I think when you actually read it, there's a lot of other details that you can unpack and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. like I read it in, in a comic book as a kid, I read, you know, my grandmother when I was a kid would, you know, like that would be the story she would tell me while feeding me lunch, you know, and right. I, she, then she would, I would recite it back to her, things like that. So yeah, that's, yeah, I think they made it simpler so that kids can understand it, but then not to get too deep into it, but there are things like the fact that like Rama challenges his wife Sita's loyalty and devotion because oh, she totally. was in the garden of Ashokwatiga and, you know, th- there's that whole thing that you could really get into. And I've heard some very feminist discourse about that. And I've, I've been like, all right, this is, this is too much for me to deal with right now, but you know, it, it was great to listen to um <laughs> the, there are definitely good criticisms to be made there of are. of this mario brothers story because in, <laughs> well because in in so many ways and i and i don't mean to be that reductive because there's a reason it's a sacred text however like mario <laughs> brothers is essentially a ramayana ripoff in some respects like luigi is basically hanuman he's oh he's the God. bro except with a way cooler backstory in the ramayana <laughs> Hanuman is is definitely my favorite. <laughs> Hanuman's great. He's he's such a sweetheart. I love I love Hanuman. He is delightful. Um, and fun fact: in Black Panther, um, the tribe that lives in the mountains for some reason said praise Hanuman like that was the deity that they revered rather than a panther and it completely threw me for a loop in the movie theater because it was the last thing I was expecting to hear and then I had to pause and kind of like after the after I watched the movie I kind of had to do some googling I was like wait 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 are they are is this something that they just pulled or is this legit like I need to you know I was like give me my historical accuracy but yeah no did you you find anything not a whole lot. Um, so I'm not entirely sure if I could ever get one-on-one with whoever wrote the screenplay, I would ask them that question and be sure. like, where did, where did this, you know, where did this inspiration come from? And you, you know, it, for it would all make I sense know, because a lot yeah. of the coast of Africa would have had access to trade with India. Like, especially yeah, if you exactly. think about, um, you know, Kenya has, has, I yeah. believe, a port city on the coast, although I should fact check myself. Well, and I can, I can confirm that because I have, um, a little bit of that heritage cultural heritage mm-hmm. so yeah no definitely um it it makes sense right and i mean yeah kenya has mombasa like, like there's so on the much, east coast yeah and somalia yeah. has and Mogadishu. there's so much mm-hmm, and there's so much you know cultural crossover and things like that so it on the one hand you know i wasn't expecting it to show up in black panther on the other hand you know it made complete sense Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, that is my side tangent for that. <laughs> it's so crazy while I'm looking at the map that, like, um, like Chennai, like Madras, the part of India that my mom is from, is, mm-hmm. like, like um, the same distance from the equator as, like, northern Nigeria and northern Ethiopia. Like, it's that south. That is interesting. It's, right? so- it's south of, like, Saudi mm-hmm. Arabia, Yemen, Sudan, Egypt, like, Libya, that's wild. We don't really think about that so much, hey? It's just part of that, like, Eurocentric distortion of the map. Like, yeah. we don't think of things in, like, an equator-centric fashion. Yeah. But, yeah, like, Tamil Nadu and, like, Sri Lanka, like, that sort of area with Tamil folks. Even if you go further north and you include all the Dravidian folks, like, um, let me think of a good example here. 
like for example, um, Bengaluru is is pretty much the same latitude as as Chennai. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, India goes pretty far south, pretty close to the equator. All right, cool. <laughs> and we're back <laughs> um, after my side tangent of fact checking myself about um, Kenya because I did not want to give you the wrong idea with Mombasa. <laughs> And I steered you right. I, see, we we get off on tangents. Um, I was telling right. Victor off off um off of the recording that we both are very talented at causing each other to go on tangents. Totally. <laughs> so one of the reasons that Lord Rama is such is seen as such a noble figure in the Ramayana is he's kind of made out to be this idyllic hero, and he mm-hmm. has like five, I think, specific um, virtues. And if I'm not mistaken from my research, they are compassion. Because he tries to be compassionate to everyone he meets, no matter how poor, no matter their station. Mm-hmm. Um, he's famous for his wisdom, which is the second one. He often offers opportunities to de-escalate conflict and avoid war. And then when push comes to shove, he's like, Ravana, I'm taking you down. <laughs> um, also, Ravana is basically Bowser. He's the evil character that has kidnapped Rama's princess, who is always Hi. in another castle. I am living for this comparison. And Sita's what? Princess Peach? Yes, definitely. Oh my god. I am living for this right now. And if this she is has the most refreshing take. If she has an animal familiar, it would be Toad. I just yep. don't know if Sita actually has like some kind of animal familiar or Toad analog in in the story i'm i'm not too sure that would be a detail that i did not get but as a feminist critique like sita gets as much runtime as princess peach does maybe less yep it's true it's like entirely (laughs) focused on mario and him just being awesome and knowing plumbing except in this version he doesn't know plumbing I mean, presumably he does. He is an avatar of, of Vishnu, so presumably he's got a pretty good idea of what plumbing is like. Oh uh, all right, piranha plants, oh fireballs, God. and moving on. So the third thing is Valor. <laughs> he is, unlike myself, composed and thoughtful under pressure. <laughs> and Lord Rama supposedly defeated demons as a teenager. I was like, what? He defeated demons as a teenager? I'm like, I really feel under-accomplished as an adult. Yep. Yep. His fourth property was, um, or um, merit, I suppose, is righteousness. He mm-hmm. offers equal respect to his mother and his stepmother and his brothers. So there's no bias in terms of who he considers more important. It sort of ties into mm-hmm. that compassion piece, but on a family level. And the final trait, which I don't quite understand, is sacrifice. Part of him spending 14 years in the forest giving up his kingship was to obey his father, who was like, hey, you're eligible to become king, so um, I'm just going to exile you to the forest. And like, you go do you over there, but I want to keep my kingship. And his, his brother was apparently like, you should revolt and just take power. And he was like, no, I'm going to be faithful to the divine order of things and listen to my dad. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, uh, his dad was compelled to do it. Do you know that part of the story? I do not share with me. Okay. Okay. So the way this works, um, there is, um, you have the king and okay. I am forgetting his name right now. Cause I'm running solely upon childhood memory right now. I did not think to refresh myself on my Ramayana before I dove in, dove that, into this. That's um, fair. But he has three wives. The first one whose name I'm forgetting and then there is, there's three wives and there is, one of them's name is uh, Lady Keke, I believe. Um, Lady Keke had a, um, a maidservant, a handservant. And 
her servant reminded her, her she was jealous. Um, okay. She was not Rama's mother. She was one of the stepmothers. Um, and she was incredibly jealous that her son Bharat was not taking the throne. Right. So she was jealous. Um, and her maidservant reminded her of a time in her past during war when she um, when she saved the life of King Dasrat or Dasrat Raja. She, she saved his life and he right. granted her a boon. That's right. Isn't um, Dashratha, isn't that the father of Rama? That's the father of Rama. Right. So Queen Kaikai had never um, taken up that boon, had never called in that favor, basically. Right, right. Um, so she had a pending boon uh, left. Right. He so owed her because she, she saved so she his life. she compelled him to banish Rama. Yes. She, she, oh. she's, like, she's like, you owed me a boon. And this I'm is what I demand. Yep. This is what I demand is that you exile Rama. Um, and the king is absolutely torn apart. Rama is his favorite and eldest son, and he does not want to do this thing. Right. But he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. So it's not even about the kingship because the king pa- dies of a broken heart. Um, and, oh, my God. I, I yeah. knew that George Lucas got it from somewhere. Sorry, it's just the worst plot device to die of a broken heart. I'm like, there are a million ways to kill off a character, but Dashratha yep. has to die of a broken heart after Rama goes into exile being a faithful son. Yep. That's <sighs> so that's what it is. That's that's why it was not because Dashratha wanted him gone. It was one of the jealous right. stepmothers and her crooked, twisted, rotten handmaiden who totally crafted this plan and was like, My lady, this is this is what you're gonna do. Bharata, loyal to Rama, takes Rama's um, sandals and places them on the throne and Aww. is basic and basically commits to um, taking care of the kingdom while Rama is gone, not as king. Right. Like stewardship. Stewardship. Yeah. Cool. Um, so Rama's sandals were on the throne after the passing of Lord Dashratraja. Mm-hmm. Hey, wow, this is all coming back to me. Um, That's impressive recollection because <laughs> I had to look up um, Dashratha on um, Wikipedia and right. then I was going to mention it and then you just remembered his name. <laughs> well, okay, see, now now I'm going to do some Wikipedia-ing. <laughs> You're allowed to cheat. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm calling in the cheat sheet. It is, it is an open book test. Have I have I shared with you the story <laughs> of how squirrels got their stripe or did you do you already know that one? No, I don't know this one. Oh, wonderful. So I'm going to butcher it because that, that's that's what I do. Um, so house squirrels got their stripes. So basically, um, Lord Rama is at this place where he's he's called forth all of his all of his divine intervention in the forests. And there have been all of these monkeys and bears have come to aid him in building this bridge over to Lanka, which is the it is Mordor. It is the throne of of Bowser, a.k.a. Um, Ravana. The mm-hmm. only thing they really missed out is Ravana is a way cooler villain with 10 heads, but we can get to that later. <laughs> TLDR, all the animals are making this bridge out of stones. And this squirrel, like, there's all these monkeys and all these bears moving these boulders. And this squirrel, like, runs out, like, hopping on all of these animals and, like, runs out and drops this little pebble from its mouth um, to sort of extend the bridge and as the squirrel is like running back to grab more rocks all the bears and monkeys start making fun of the squirrel and the squirrel's like pretty devastated the squirrel's like hey friends i'm like trying here it's gonna take me a while but like i i am gonna make a contribution and they're like 
totally burning this poor squirrel. So the squirrel is like, whatever, I'm going to take it up with the avatar. Um, sorry, I was channeling my inner avatar, the last airbender there. Um, I'm going to take it up with my avatar and goes to talk to Lord Rama and is like, hey, Lord Rama, I'm super upset with these monkeys and these bears for making fun of me. Should I just like give up and go back into the forest? And Lord Rama's like, no, your contributions are essential. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. matter how big the contribution is. You're still part of what we're doing. And it's still critical. Even the smallest pebble can connect two of the biggest boulders. So mm -hmm. he, Lord Rama essentially goes out and like chastises all the other animals for like ripping into the squirrel and then pets the squirrel as a gesture of of thanks. And his like intense divine energy is such that it actually scorches this pattern of white in the squirrel fur and that's why when you look at giant indian squirrels um they have this like trace of white down their tails that's so cool did not know that story yeah it's a cute there's one so to many, tell kids yeah it's a cute one to tell kids there's so many stories stories and like excerpts that are buried in the ramayana because like i said it's a massive tome and they just distilled it um it's an epic. okay it is an epic. It is literally an epic. It takes like three days for them to perform the Ramayana when they're, and they're still chopping bits out. They're still doing the distilled version. It is um, the abridged work. Yes. It is the abridged work. Um, Did I tell you I got to see Bharatanatyam of the Ramayana done at Kalashetra? No, that's so cool though. Yeah, it's supposed to be like the, the world center of Bharatanatyam, which is awesome. <laughs> That is super, super cool. Okay. I, I, I pulled up my cheat sheet. Okay. Because um, I want to tell this story properly. Yes. So do it. Dasaratha was the king of Ayodhya. He had three wives, Koshalya, Keke, and Sumitra. Um, he was childless for a long time. And so he performs a fire sacrifice. Um, Rama is first born to Koshalya. Bharat is born to Keke. Lakshman and Shatruna are born to Sumitra. So they are, um, because he did a fire sacrifice puja thing to have his sons, all of his sons have some essence of Vishnu in, in, in them. That's that. Oh, that I didn't know back. that was why. Yeah. There's the, it kind of ties back to the whole bigger stories around Vishnu, the divine creator and how he comes to earth in various forms for various right. reasons um and he opted to be born into mortality so that he can fight ravana so that that ties back right. into a bigger thing i'm just trying to stick within the capsule of the story itself this is i'm focusing <laughs> on plot rather than meta plot right <laughs> um right so right the so the boys grow up all that kind of stuff um uh meanwhile uh lord Janak is the king of Mithila, and that's where Sita is born. Okay. She was a um, miraculous gift of God. He found this baby girl in the field um, in a furrow that was dug by his plow. Okay. So Sita was his precious baby that showed up out of nowhere, basically. Right. So he's plowing his field, and all of a sudden he's like, hey, there's a baby under this earth that I just uncovered. Yeah. Pretty okay, much. sure. Legit. Yeah. Legit, we We've all right? had that kind of a story. Yeah. Um, fast forward a little bit. Um, there's there's um, the Swayamvar of Sita, which is like a um, a wedding a wedding kind of a thing where all these eligible, um, you know, royals and nobles and all that kind of stuff all go are all coming to Mithila to um, present themselves to Sita, and there was a challenge given that whoever could break this 
um, bow, like a bow and arrow bow. It's a heavy bow of Lord Shiva's that was granted to to King Jenik. And whoever could lift that bow, because um, it was divinely heavy, would get to marry Sita. Oh, of course, Rama um, can lift it. No one else can lift it. Everyone tries desperately. Rama doesn't just lift it. He strings it, he pulls it, and it breaks. Wow. He breaks he has the that bow. Much, he breaks the bow. He has that much divine strength and energy. Ultimately, um, what ends up happening, because of course everything's got to be poetic and you got to have all your threads neatly tied together, um, all four sons of Desret mm-hmm. and all the daughters of Janak, because there's four daughters, all get married. So Rama marries Sita, Lakshman marries Urmala, okay. Bharat marries Mandavi, and Shatrugna marries Shruktakirti. That's like the last two are like, you never hear these people. Like, I've right. never even read the fourth daughter's name, poor right. girl. Never gets, gets lost in the sands of history. <laughs> there was yep. a time she was a big deal. That time's passed. That time has passed. 3,000 years ago. Yep. Or yep. more. Fast forward 12 years. Um, that's what is getting old right? He's an old man now and he wants to crown Rama, his eldest son, as king. Everyone's like, okay, yeah, cool. And then on the eve of that big event, Keike, um, her maidservant, Mantra, has aroused her jealousy. I don't know if Keike was originally jealous or if Mantra was the source of that jealousy. The way it's normally told is Mantra causes this jealousy. And until that point, Keke was totally on board. And then Mantra is like, you have two boons that Deshra granted you long ago, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, all of these things. Um, And so Keke calls in that favor. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so she demands that Rama is exiled into the wilderness for 14 years and that the succession passes to her son, Bharat. See, this is the power of metamorship right there. This is why you want to build healthy metamorships. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Pretty much, right? I mean, think about it. This was this was this was the OG polyamory. Like there was totally. three wives involved, right? Multiple children. Definitely. You had they were all nesting together. Like it was one big polycule, and this is what happens when shit goes wrong, yo. Yeah. Then <laughs> then like the king dies of a broken heart because his favorite quote unquote eldest son quote-unquote yeah. i guess the quote-unquote should be favorite i don't know if yeah. that's so quote-unquote he definitely was the king's favorite he, son he absolutely was the favorite right and so king's broken uh but has to give his word because these were boons right um and rama is like yeah no problem i will do this i will i will go He is joined by sita and lakshman um and sita shows her devotion to him and is like i will follow you into the forest and blah 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 and, and after rama leaves king Deshra dies right um and Bharat refuses to profit from his mother's wicked scheming. Right. Um, and yeah, so there's so there's that whole thing. Lakshman is incredibly loyally devoted to Rama, like that that is his human, um, and so that's why Lakshman was like, "Nah, bro, if you're going into the forest, I'm coming with you. Like, fuck this, fuck this palace, kind of a thing." Right. <laughs> so that's that's. Um, that's how this whole Ramayana gets started. Shit happens from there. Sita gets kidnapped. Um, they have to go rescue Sita. There's a bunch of other things that happen along the way. They like make friends so with a whole many, bunch of animals. So much shit happens. So along much the way. stuff happens. It is like so much happens. It is like if 
Lord of the Rings were like OG <laughs> Lord of the Rings and had this... millennia to be written and was like 10 times the size that actual Lord yeah, of the Rings is. I... I think this is like the OG Lord yeah. of the Rings. It it truly is. Um, you it's, know, yeah. there's 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 animals involved. There's a monkey that jumps all the way to Lanka. There's stone bridges to be made. Like it's it's, it's totally. It's, it's a great story. It's also very much a lot. There's a lot of shit that goes down. That, but anyways. That piece where Hanuman goes to like negotiate with Ravana to be like, hey, it's not too late to end this. Let's not actually let this come to like bloodshed. Yeah. And like wants to sit above Ravana to show disrespect unnecessarily, even though he's supposed to be on a peace mission. Um, and Ravana is like, <laughs> don't give him a chair, make him sit on the floor. I want to be higher than him. So Hanuman just like grows his tail so that he's higher than Ravana just to piss him off to make the negotiations yeah. go worse. I'm like, yeah. you know, Hanuman, for a peacemaker, you're doing a shit job of pissing off the person you're supposed to be de-escalating. Hanuman at heart is still a monkey. And I think there's some... Yeah. boldness and monkiness Definitely. still in him i mean when they wrap up his tail and set it on fire what does he do he's like all right well fuck you you're setting my tail on fire i'm gonna burn your entire city down i think so i think the way i've heard it told is he didn't necessarily intentionally burn the city down he was just literally on fire <laughs> <laughs> might be a bit of both honestly might think, be a bit of both i think if someone lights your body on fire you're probably going to like run now going super saiyan was kind of unnecessary <laughs> but like it's also okay that he turned into an enormous super powerful monkey giant that slapped his flaming tail all over lanka just <laughs> leveling the place i mean part of that is like don't set a super saiyan on fire I mean, that's a useful moral to teach children. If you run into yep. a Super Saiyan, do not don't, set his tail on fire because on fire. <laughs> if he turns into a giant monkey, you're like, you're, you're hose. Like he's going to raise your city with a flaming tail. <laughs> yeah. Ramayana is a wild, wild, wild story. It's, a, yeah. it's cool. It's super cool. That was a fun one. That was part, that was part of the section I got to see um, in the Bharatanatyam, <laughs> which was really good, which is a style of South that. Indian dance for those who don't know. I love that. I, I studied Kathak as a child. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I'm familiar with another style of uh, South Asian dance. It's crazy how different styles of South Asian dance can be. Mm -hmm. Like they can be so different. Like and traditions can be like less than 500 kilometers apart. But because they're separated by the spine of India, which is this huge mountain range, they're just like they're so isolated. Vastly like, different. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Like, Kathak and Bharatanatyam are such different beasts entirely. Like you were, if you're trained in one, mm -hmm. you will have a hard time in the other because there is so much to adjust to. You're learning from the ground up again. Yeah, so absolutely. It's you know, it's but yeah, I love I love our arts and cultures and all of that stuff. And I'm not going to dive too deep into that, but it's it's cool and I love exploring like those backgrounds and those histories and you know, the history of all of these arts and crafts and all that kind of stuff. Um, Odyssey mm -hmm. dance as well is also beautiful. I love that. There's so many, there's so many. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> back to Diwali. We could, we could talk about it for hours because oh, like, the traditions yeah. are just so old and there's so mm -hmm. much of it. And I think what I like so much about Bharatanatyam is the idea that it's, it's one, it's written into the Vedas, which is like so nuts to me. Um, and the two, it's not just about dance exactly. It's almost more about theater. 
there's there's something about dance as this opportunity to do theater that brings together all the arts from Mm -hmm. storytelling to live music playing to building sets to make up you know all the all the jewelry fashion performance singing it's all there and sorry and yeah and same with um uh, Guthak and Odyssey dance too. Mm. Like in Guthak, we are also performing stories. Totally. Um, and the Odyssey dance that I've seen too, again, it's all different ways of depicting and performing stories in theater. And so, yeah, our arts and culture is wicked cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say more about Guthak? I'm, I'm kind of interested to spend like a few minutes just if you okay. could paint more of a picture of what it looks like and what it feels <sighs> like. Oh, shucks. It's been a long, long time. Um, I, Bharatanatyam is, is very rigid. Um, there's a, there's a huge, um, structural element to it. It's very, um, very rigid. There's a particular posture and a very, like, it's not flexible. It's not fluid. Um, Mm-hmm. There's all these like very balanced poses that you're taking on. Gavak is a little bit more fluid. It's very very graceful, mm-hmm. um, which I which I loved and appreciated about it. Um, very very similar in that there is still those like those footwork that you have to do those base footwork. Um, that kind of is your like your your base. It's like you're the base of your dish, right? Like that's your that's your plate of rice upon which you're gonna place your protein and all your other shit. Um, sure. But yeah, so it's it's. I mean, I guess the quickest way to kind of tell Paratnatium apart from Gothic is that Paratnatium is the one where they look like they're kind of wearing plant pants, but they got the pleats in the middle mm-hmm. uh, between the legs. In Gothic, it's almost like you're wearing like little. Um, like tights, like skinny pants. And then you've got this long dressed and flowing skirt on top. Um, and that's, that's really like, that's one of the ways that you can tell right away. We still wear bells around our ankles and all that kind of stuff. Um, and our, the, the adornments are slightly different as well, but, um, again, just very, very graceful. Awesome. Mm -hmm. It's so what I think is so neat is, um, the, the Veda that it comes from, like the, or maybe it's not even a, is it a full Veda? It might be a Purana. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I have no idea. You you know more about this than I do. Honestly, oh, honestly I don't know that much. It is the, um, <laughs> the Natya Shastra, which was written by Bharata Muni. Who is a music... You still know more than I do right now. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And anyways, it was, I wanted to mention that it was completed like 2000 years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's something that I find, um, in my opinion, either gets overstressed or understressed in a lot of these conversations is like, it's, it's important to hold space that these traditions are literally thousands of years old. When I have these conversations, um, sometimes if I'm talking to like someone who is very Indian, they'll be like, you know, they'll say things like Indians were writing epic poetry while, you know, Westerners were still swinging through the trees. And I'm like, I think you might be over exaggerating the greatness. Of yeah. India. Um, yeah. And just a little bit. And I, but I've literally heard people say that. And I'm like, this person may I've, not have the context. Yeah. No, I've definitely heard that. Um, there is there is some evidence that India. Well, I mean, there is evidence that sure. India was a very advanced definitely. civilization in comparison However, the part that's being forgotten there is that there were advanced civilizations in the West as well, sure. right? Like there was, there was, all, 
sure. Know, okay, sure. Maybe India civilization was more whatever, more sure. scientific or sure. whatever. But there were ancient civilizations all totally. around the world, all around and the they world. were they were they were they were advanced. So I think that's the part that gets forgotten sometimes amidst all of the the pride of how ancient India is. Um, and like different it's, different it's success ancient... that we've kept it alive. Uh, that that's so that's what i was going to bring up because like different ancient empires were super epic and amazing at specific things Mm -hmm. um like if you look at even the incan empire in like south america it's super interesting to me that they were able to connect such disparate areas that were separated by by mountainous ranges and like super treacherous um terrain by my like Mm -hmm. you know canadian standards yeah. And you could look at various civilizations um, in terms of surgeries that they may have developed, like the Aztec civilization, or you could look at um, ancient China, or you could look at, you know, like there are just so many different places we could go. Um, yeah. and, and that's just what comes up in my colonial mind off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, but sometimes there are people that will talk about, say, um, the Itihasa or, or different Sanskrit literatures that are um, like ancient Sanskrit literature stuff. Mm-hmm. And they'll talk about it as being um, older than there is evidence for because you can only carbon date copies that survive to today. And yes. I'm like, okay, I can buy that, but it's also impossible to put a number on just how old it is other than by saying, we know that the earliest examples are like 2,500 BCE which Mm -hmm. is still absurdly old. The notion that a culture that began in 2500 BCE has mostly, especially if you look at the Southern tip and the indigenous um, Dravidian folks of South India, if you just look at that piece, um, there has been so much less Muslim influence, which means there's been so much less um, changing and influence of the Hindu culture. Mm -hmm. So there Mm -hmm. is still part of India that is classically to my knowledge, unconquered. That's pretty absurd. And that's, of course, if you don't count Britain coming in with colonialism, because obviously it was technically occupied during that time. Right. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, it, it, it absolutely boggles the mind. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially considering how much India has been through in terms of colonialism and conquest and just, you know, the land being taken over by the Mughal Empire amongst other <laughs> things, right? Like there's sure. fucking so much. It's there's so much. India in, there's so much drama and so much history and there's a lot. But I love it. And I love, you know, is. digging into that and exploring it and just seeing and talking about it. And, it is yeah. it is such a mess. And sometimes I look at the <laughs> politics and go, What a dumpster fire. But at the end of the day, it's like yep. a big dysfunctional yep. family. How all of those states even make up a country, I don't un- I don't understand. <laughs> but somehow they do and but we all do. kind of accept each other as disparate members of this dysfunctional family. That's that's literally the best description I've ever heard of of India. That's very, very accurate. Thank you. <laughs> so do you want to know the yes sorry go ahead no no you you go you were you were gonna put us back on topic <laughs> i was um do you want to know the other diwali story that yes, i know i would love to okay okay um the other diwali story that i know uh the other reason why we light dias and the reason why i will actually be going to light dias this evening once the sun formally sets mm-hmm. um is it has to do with uh, the goddess of wealth, Saraswati, or really just the goddess in general, like wealth, prosperity, all that jazz. Lakshmi, right? Um, Lakshmi, Lakshmi, Saraswati. They're they're all kind of this. They're all part of the same kind of crowd, I guess you can say. I kind of bulk 
bulk them all in together. Sarasvati is um, more like, because I only know this because my mom's name is Sarasvati, but isn't she more okay. like, um, she's Brahma's wife, so she's more like learning, knowledges, books, like that form of creation? You're probably right. And then I, if I'm not mistaken, Lakshmi is Vishnu's wife, which is more like preservation, but she takes on the aspect of preservation through prosperity. Yes. Okay. So it's Lakshmi. I I fully admit my privilege in like being born and raised in this culture. <laughs> no, you're totally sometimes fine. I'm <laughs> no, I I fully admit I am sometimes very ignorant. And I'm like, yeah, all these goddesses, and I just kind of lump them together. Well, like it is part of that same divine trinity, right? Because you've got <laughs> yeah. Parvati, Lakshmi, and Sarasvati, which are the wives of um Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma. Yeah. Respectively. And, yeah. And all of these, you know, they're all just different names for the same thing sure hinduism is very polytheistic but it's also multiple faces and descriptions and ways of explaining the different processes and divinity in and of itself right right these are gods and they also are all one yeah that's something a lot of monotheists struggle with is this idea that polytheism in in, at least in hinduism is Mm -hmm. facets of of the divine it is yes. it is meant to be like roles and and archetypes and yeah just just not not characters exactly i think archetypes was the better word archetypes yeah. of of the divine things that yeah. are representative i there's a great i'll have to send you a link it's on youtube it was one of the youtubers that like draws out stories and stuff mm-hmm. and they did a great one on kali and they actually do for white people, the most unbelievably succinct and well done short explanation of Hinduism ever. I was so unbelievably proud of them. Cool. Also, they they play they play an uh, acoustic version of Dancing Queen at the end, which is fucking <laughs> hysterical. Considering they're talking about what Kali did, and I was like, oh my god, this is the best video ever. I will send you a link to that. So um, I especially like that because yeah. it reminds me of. Um... Nataraja, the um, the king of the dance or the lord of the dance, okay. as a form of Shiva, and yeah, essentially right, and essentially he just stomps on demons and like it's like the purification of one's demons through dance, and it's just like this beautiful Indian cultural well, and, and metaphor. And that's a form of yeah, and that's a form of Shiva who is the destroyer, right? Totally. You, and Kali it, would come from the same Shiva Parvati duality. Yes, because she is Parvati's angry avatar. Totally. She is the rage queen. Totally. Yes. So there's all this stuff. Um, but yes, so Lakshmi, now that I've gotten all of that straight. Um, yes. Lakshmi. So what happens before Diwali, this is this one I feel like is fairly universal. Um, because Diwali is kind of like Christmas slash New Year. Uh, before Diwali, there tends to be a lot of Diwali cleaning, right? You're cleaning up the house. You're tidying things up. You're, you know, closing those books of your business or whatever. Um, and, um, you know, you're really preparing your home uh, for Lakshmi to return for another year. So mm. you've got everything clean. You've set the stage. You know, you're decorating your home and you light these oil lamps. Um, and that's you're lighting the way for her. Right. Oh, OK. Invite her in. Wonderful. It's also to invite, yeah. So it's also to invite her in. Um, also, still, you know, triumph over darkness, light over evil. Like that's that's. But that's why I say it's sometimes a simplification because it's also about the goddess. Like if I don't light 
Leah's tonight, my grandmother is going to be like, um, you know, oh, we're going to lose the goddess, right? Like, you're not inviting the goddess, like, you know, clean up your room. Why isn't it clean? You, you know, she'll leave if you're not, if your house and your room isn't clean, right? right? So it's like, you need to do these things and cleanse um, and all that kind of stuff so that you are able to welcome the goddess for another year. So Love it. stuff like that. Yeah. So that's why like light over evil, triumph over like all that stuff. Yeah, sure. But I think <laughs> that's why that's why I say there's a slightly more nuanced story to be had here. Definitely. Yeah. So how many days long is your Diwali Diwali celebration? Um I it depends. The Hindu calendar is weird. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um and depending on who you ask sometimes some festivals are celebrated like it's a it's a lunar calendar b like do you do it at the same time as india or right. do you do it according to north american time and so everyone has their own definitions and like our calendars will say one thing that we have at home and then like the mm. temple will say another thing and so it's like it's like at some point i'm just like fuck it like whoever whoever says whatever <laughs> date i will take it um sure so uh for me for us there's a, there's a couple of significant dates, right? Like there's, um, uh, there's like, for some reason there is no like technically day 11 slot and then 12 and 13 are like together for some, this is what I mean. There's weird shit that goes on, but essentially, um, up until now. So, uh, up until now we've been doing things like cleaning. I helped my grandmother to, um, clean our entire little home temple, our little home temple and we cleaned the whole thing um so i did that we did all of our our version of the crisp of christmas baking all of our diwali love foods, it right we did all the frying and the cooking and the you know whatever i've made so many things that we don't eat other than once a year because it's all deep fried and key because that's <laughs> of course what you do i made sweets i made savories i you know all of my all of my favorite you know, delightful guilty pleasures that I only get to eat once a year because we're very health conscious otherwise. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we do a lot of that. So that's, I, I tend to explain it the same way as, you know, people do Christmas baking, you know, totally. you all do Christmas baking. You, that's the thing you do. We do Diwali cooking. Even, that's the thing we do. Even Halloween baking, like people will do pumpkin pies and they'll do pumpkin loaves and they'll celebrate all of yeah. the harvest spices. Halloween, Thanksgiving, yeah, all yeah, of that totally. kind of stuff. So very, very similar to that. So we we did all of that. We did all the cleaning. Um, and then on a on a particular day, um it's one of it's one of the main days and we we do a, a, a slight prayer um with the coins that are kept in the in our little house temple so we, okay. we wash those coins um and that's you know you you cleanse them and you again rituals for prosperity and all that kind of stuff and we do all of that um and that's happening tomorrow evening is when that will happen and then diwali itself um so today's thursday that's friday evening and then diwali itself falls on sunday and mm. then that Monday is the the day of the new year. That's um, that's awesome. Yeah, and so we, Diwali on Diwali Day, we're just going to get together with friends and we're celebrating, and you're just having a fun time. Um, some folks do fireworks. Uh, my household doesn't. Um, we might do sparklers. Sometimes we do sparklers. Every household seems to have their own traditions and all of that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And then it's on the first day of the new year. It's a good day to, you know, just again, hang out. You celebrate. You're usually calling up friends and wishing them a happy new year. You're usually um, 
yeah there's 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 like little traditions that happen um i know one that typically comes up in hindu writings is something called bhaiduj and it's when the brother comes to visit the sister hmm. uh or something like that it doesn't happen in my household um i haven't heard of anyone doing it um but it is a thing that some hindu folks do so everyone everyone does it very differently it also makes sense if your sister is living with you know her husband or or partner if that's in a different household, it might be nice to go and visit your sort of extended family and just be like, hey, yeah. haven't seen you in a year. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? So the, lots of lots and lots of variations of the ways that things are done. And I'm going to see if I can find that word, danteras. Okay, that's that's what it is. Um, danteras, that means, thir- dan meaning wealth, teras meaning 13. That okay. is uh, this Friday. And so the 13th day has a lot to do with um, with wealth. Um, mm. And so that's the day on which we do the do, do the coin washing ceremony. Um, on the 27th, allegedly, um, is the day that a lot of people do a Lakshmi Puja or a Kali Puja. Hmm. Um, and they'll do that kind of prayer. Um, and the 29th being Bhaiduj or the day that, you know, you hang out with your brother sure Every, like i said everyone does things differently so right. but for in my household we we will you know like the diaz for a couple of days prior to diwali and we will do dantaras and that's and then other than the actual new year itself that's kind of about it cool yeah so would you say diwali builds a sense of community for you huh i because you celebrate yes, it primarily with your family right yeah i mean there is a community aspect mm-hmm. to it in that you know it's 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 a much more familial aspect like you're getting phone calls from friends and family all around the world mm-hmm. um my community does celebrate diwali that we usually have a function in november actually um sometimes later in october pardon me um where we uh we get together it's just a little it's like a it's a function. It's a, sometimes we'll do it as a gala dinner. Sometimes it's a, it's, it's a party, right? Mm-hmm. We, we host a party, everyone gets together um, and has food and we hang out as a community. And, you know, I've emceed that event a couple of times, um, which is always fun. Uh, so uh, there is that element of community, um, but it's a lot of family stuff too. Um, and just within our social circle, like on Sunday, all of my family friends are all of our family friends are coming over and we're all, you know, sharing a meal together. So there is that aspect to it too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm. So a lot of these winter or autumn festivals mm-hmm. are, are, are typically focused on like darkness and light. Um, there's like some theme or aspect, which, which I feel like there definitely is for Diwali. It's very focused mm-hmm. on the victory of light in the same way that it's the victory of Rama over Ravana. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious how that ties into hope. Would Would you say Diwali's like a hopeful holiday for you? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I think it's interesting being like I I'm so deeply curious to know what Diwali looks like in India. Mm-hmm. You know, because living here in Canada, it's it's weird. Like it, it's always made sense that it happens in the fall. Um, just because this is when things start to get darker and wetter and mm-hmm. rainier and colder. Um, and here's this unbelievably warm light bringing festival that comes along. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always been a big part of my life in that sense. 
um, I, I don't know what this, what Diwali looks like in India, right? Like, I don't, I don't know. It would, um, it would have to vary by region if I took a wild guess, because there are parts of India where it's going to snow because they're fairly mountainous. Um, and then yeah. there are parts more like where I'm from that would be, I mean, me being from, that's a funny notion, where, more like where my mom's from, where I live for six months. Um, that's your heritage. It's where it's, yeah. you know, it's your origins. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's more ridiculous in terms of the warmth like literally when i when i walked out into the bay of bengal for the first time i remember being like this is like walking into a warm bath <laughs> it was very different from walking into the pacific ocean at like crescent right. beach in the middle of you know like it doesn't even matter like even going into lakes in the middle of summer here is like not comparable to walking into the ocean there which was just like such a pl i was like wow humans really evolved for this sort of a climate yeah yeah, it's just, you know, and the reason the reason why I'm saying that is just because, like, for, for me, Diwali, it ties in so much with the weather here. Um, mm. And so that's, I guess that's where the hope bringing aspect comes in. It's, we're nowhere close to spring, but it's nice to have something that's kind of warm and cozy. It's like mm -hmm. I get Diwali and I get the warm and cozy and then Christmas shows up and everyone's, you know, like, be mm -hmm. cozy in your pajamas and watch Christmas movies and drink hot chocolate. So it's <laughs> lots, lots of cozy stuff. Totally. It's it's a great way to find strength in our social networks during dark months. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why it's timed this way, but it just makes sense. And it I, I works mean, I, for me living here in North America. Sure. And and there probably are parts of India that get much cooler at this time of year as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, makes sense. Yeah. So in terms of that, it kind of answers my next question, because um, I was ta I was going to ask about drawing strength from ideas like that. And I'm kind of curious if in your construction of your personal identity as a, an Indian person, do you find that you draw strength from having that sense of community that sort of marks these milestones through the year? Hmm. Giving you all the hard questions now. There was, there was a lot to unpack in that question. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially as an Indo-Canadian woman. Yeah. I mean... For me, um, I can be rather fluid in my faith sometimes in that I don't follow like word for word what every single ritual says. Like, yes, there is a lot of science in Hinduism. And yes, there's a reason why. But at the end of the day, I'm someone who just does things with faith. Um, and so if things aren't 100% perfect, that's fine. You know, I'm mm -hmm. still doing it with faith and with good intention. And to me, that matters more. Um, by that same coin, I, you know, my, my fiance, uh, is of a, of a completely different religion and is, um, is pagan, uh, and mm -hmm. just, you know, very, very different, but I would have absolutely no objections to participating in their faith and, you know, taking on that as also mine, right. And having sure. both, um, is your partner celebrating Sawain? Uh, I, my partner it's something that I've encouraged them to do, but because they had no one to celebrate with until now. Got you. Right. So hopefully when, if we're hopefully someday nesting together, it would be something that I would be like, no, let's actually make a point of doing this. Like you have this faith. There are some please really, sh please share it. Like, there are this some is, really this is cool awesome. traditions in, in the pagan yeah. realm that I think are totally worth unpacking and exploring. Like there's such a wealth right? of traditions yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so this is what I mean. Like I, 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 
I take a little bit from everywhere. I, I truly do. Like I've got a pocket full of crystals. I own a tarot deck. Like I've, I've got, I kind of am a little bit of a chameleon that way, I guess you can say. Um, mm-hmm. So in that sense, my festivals are less about faith sometimes and just about festivals. Like this is my culture, right? Mm-hmm. There's so much about Hinduism that bleeds not just into, it's not just religion, right? It becomes a part of your culture. Um, so, which is, yeah, it, th- th- that crossover is so integral. Like even if I wasn't to call myself a Hindu woman, I would still be celebrating these festivals as part of my heritage and my culture and less about the religious aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I draw strength from that, but it does inform a part of my identity, right? Like I have these, these things that happen throughout the year, Diwali, Navratri, you know, Rakshabandhan. Mm-hmm. And no matter where I am in the world, like those are things that I will absolutely continue to, to celebrate. It's, it, it really informs my identity really not so yeah. much like a feeling of community or strength or, or things like that or hope not so much but it it just kind of lives as it's just part of who i am and it's just kind of part of what you do interesting hmm. some of that language like part of just what you do almost implies like a lack of choice in a not in a not negative way yeah well it, it's 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 an yeah, like right now, I, I I don't have a choice, right? But when I live on my own, I will actively choose to do this thing because it's who I right. am. Like it's Got just you. it's it is what I do. You sure. Know? So in terms of a tie-in to mental wellness, and this is the last question <laughs> I'm gonna throw <laughs> at you as you're like, oh God, what what are they going to ask next? <laughs> no, um, it's fine. I I love it. You always ask those deeper thought provoking questions and I love it because it forces me to introspect. Thank you. I did. Mm-hmm. I did start you off with storytelling and some like easier <laughs> questions, like how many dates is Diwali? You um, did. Wonderful. Um, so yeah. So in terms of mental wellness and mm-hmm. this idea of having an identity and like having more of like a cultural anchor, how does mm-hmm. that tie into your experience of mental wellness in the context of like Diwali as like an Indian cultural milestone and and I guess I should back myself up and and ask do you find that winter and autumn like darker seasons are more challenging for you in terms of mental wellness huh okay I think I I think I see what you're saying and what What you're asking slowly angling at (laughs) maybe I'm not sure if I do is this culture the light in the darkness of your of your experience (laughs) Of mental wellness in the winter season is what I'm sort of getting at. I, or one of many, or not at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I asked I, the I, question. I, that was the whole point. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, winter months suck. It's cold. I don't. I'm I'm a summer human. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of is. It's it's very funny because. A fall, like from August onwards, it's just thing after thing after thing. Like the fall semester is always a nightmare for me mm-hmm. when, or when I was studying, it was a nightmare for me because mm-hmm. it was just a thing after, like it was one festival after another. Like you would have Reksham and then, and then not too long after it was Sharad. And, you know, you're, 
cooking meals for your ancestors. And then not too long after that, it's Navratri and that's the goddess festival. So you're out dancing for nine nights. And that then is, that's not, fair. I, and I fucking love that festival. And so like, why wouldn't I go do that? It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's also devotional. I'm never going to stop doing that. Um, and then not too long after that comes Navratri because these are all tied together basically. Right. So, and then not too long after that comes Christmas. Like it's just boom, 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 boom until the new year. Um, so it keeps me, it keeps me busy, I suppose is what I could say. Fair it enough. It keeps me festive, right? Like there's a lot of festivities and there's a lot of fun to be had in that. Whether that impacts my mental health and wellness, I haven't particularly noticed. I bought a happy light. So we'll see if actually if literally lighting up my life makes a difference or not. Awesome. I'm curious to see what light therapy will do for me for like legit light therapy. So I, I, I don't know. Right. As, as a, <laughs> as opposed to, to the lighting of lamps, different kind of light therapy. So yeah. I, I guess for me, um, if, if I may take a stab at the question mm -hmm. and sort of explain where I was coming from. Yeah. Um, for me, I do find the winter months are quite difficult and having a sense of community and, and reaching out and sort of using your social network like that, that has always been super critical to how well I sort of navigate through depression in the winter months and, mm -hmm. and sort of keep my spirits up. So having a strong sense of community and just knowing that there are people that care about me or that wish me well, that, that goes a long way to helping me in winter. So for me, I'm very much looking forward to Diwali this year and Aww. I'm hosting a celebration at mine on Sunday, which I know you can't make because um, I've already asked. And uh, yeah, and I'm going to a thing in the city on Saturday that's Diwali focused. And then I... I'm doing probably Halloween things the next weekend. Oh, I definitely mm -hmm. am because I'm hosting Taste of Kink, right? The event I'm putting on <clears throat> with, right. um, with MBK. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, it's going to be a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm also trying to keep myself busy with thing after thing after thing. And I feel That's like fair. in November, it's going to slow down a little towards the end. And then it's going to pick right back up for like Christmas and the new year and all that jazz. Yeah, absolutely. No, no and I mean, that makes... That makes complete sense. Um, maybe I'm just not quite as mental healthly aware, I guess. And I'm, I'm not too sure. I'm still figuring my stuff out, you know? That's fair. Mm -hmm. That's fair. And maybe it just isn't a significant holiday in a string of other holidays where some of them are more significant. Yeah, it, it, it's it's weird, right? Like, <laughs> I, It always is. It's, 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 you know, it's kind of strange when you grow up with every every time every time fall comes around it's just you know a string of festivals after festivals like right they're all special and they're all important but also you not so much take it for granted but it's like it, it goes back to that this is just what you do right like it's right. just a thing it just exists and it's just like yep we're we're doing we're doing all the things again we're okay, in the cool. festival gauntlet we're in the festival gauntlet it's one thing after another right. um so, it, you know, it's not that Christmas means more to me. Christmas means they, they all occupy different parts of my heart and they're mm -hmm. all special in different ways. So mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, eh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't mean to be so nonchalant about Diwali. I do love it, right? Like it's, it's yeah. exciting. It's, it's lovely. But at the same time, like there's so many other things that kind of right. overwhelm me. Like I still have to function as a student 
you know, right. I still have to, there's so many other things going on that at some point I'm just like, keep on keeping on and just, I just sure. kind of keep moving forward at some point. Right? That makes like, perfect sense. Like that's yeah. totally reasonable. I also yeah. didn't grow up with tons of Diwali celebrations. That's fair. Yeah. So even, and I was only in India for six months, although mm -hmm. that did sort of cut through Diwali. I was also really sick with a chest infection for part of it, Oof, oof. which is just like traveling in the tropics when you are not a human born in the tropics. And sometimes when you are. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. So I think, uh, oh shoot, there was a thing I was going to say because, oh yeah, yeah. When you're when you're raised with it, like when you don't have it, I think there's are um, two very different mm -hmm. experiences. Mm -hmm. And there was something else I was going to say, and it has completely that's okay slipped my mind. <laughs> but yeah, that's part of the reason that you're like the perfect you know foil for me in this conversation because we both have like a different relationship to our you know Indianness and. Yeah, it's it's all legitimate and it's all very different and it's all mm -hmm. unique from Indian folks growing up in India, which is, again, like a different experience. Wholly, completely different. And also part of India and caste and it just goes on and on and on. And then there's colorism to think about. And it's just like India oh is God. such a complicated, organic, tumultuous, thriving area like it's just I, I look at the way that they respond to elections and i'm just like india you just gotta like beat all the rules you're supposed to not be they just one of the strongest democracies the they, they somehow yeah. just navigate it in this way that's very uniquely indian and successful so you know good for them for yeah figuring it's, that it's, out yeah it's like it's embrace the chaos really like it's unbelievably chaotic and i and i completely love it um that's incredibly close to what my dad told me as like advice for traveling India. He literally said yeah. to me, you know, you can make all the plans you want about trying to see India, but the best you can do is you get up, you start your day and, and you just go out to, to meet India as, as an entity. And she shows that she shows to you what she wants you to see and just accept that, you know, oh, cool. Like the, the train conductor just like didn't show up for work today. So there just was no train. Or like, you know, like it's just going to be like a 40 minute delay and like everyone's angry on the train platform. And you know what? Maybe you just want to like you have the privilege. Maybe you just want to take a rickshaw and do something totally different. <laughs> I know? love that. That's actually just that's actually excellent advice. I super, super love that. I have not yet been to India. Um, so that'll be interesting whenever I do go. It but is very much, and sense. if you embrace the chaos, your whole life will be a lot better. <laughs> I, I I bet, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And I kind of see how, like, karma ties into that a little bit, this idea of just, like, everyone eventually gets their just rewards or, or punishments or whatever, you know, they, they get their comeuppance, mm -hmm. so... Mm -hmm you just sort of do your best to not be a bad actor in the world. You do your best to sort of, like you said, move through the world with this sense of good intentions and kindness and, and you know, the world is going to like knock you around the way it is. And at the end of the day, don't worry about it too much. Karma will take care of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I like karma. It, it works for me. Uh, it shows up in many different ways and, yeah. That's great. I I feel like I would be a happier person if I could accept an idea that the world is fundamentally just, but I don't espouse that belief. <laughs> it's okay it's, it's very it's very funny. Like you know, being born South Asian and kind of growing up straddling two cultures, it's very mm. much like I have this duality in a lot of subjects, right? Where mm. at the one time the you know, on the one hand, 
the world is not just. On the other hand, I have absolutely seen karma in action. Mm -hmm. Um, Where people just get their comeuppance in a very satisfying way. In a very satisfying way. Um, Someone (laughs) that, you know, was very, very horrible to their wife and they went through a terrible divorce and then, you know, you know, literally turned out to be a rotten person and then ended up getting sick with cancer and that was and i'm and i'm sitting there going and i'm like isn't that basically just the manifestation of your rottenness i mean i i try not to take opinions about situations like that because I mean, it, it's so yeah. hard to see relationships it's, from the inside but also i wasn't there yeah. and i'm sure you're completely right it, it, it for the most part everyone agrees that this person was was not the greatest Got so you. but it's it's you know and i don't intend to imply that karma or that cancer is equivalent to rot like let's be clear um it's that's not what I intend to imply, but it's it's this notion of like I have seen things happen like that where it's like all this stuff and then all of a sudden, you know, like I have I have 110% seen it in action. Um, also, karma doesn't just happen within the span of one lifetime. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's another thing. Right. So it's you know sometimes awful shit happens to us and we are paying up for whatever it was. You know. Um, that's also another really good balance that just helps people let go of stuff. I think in India is like, if you're just having a miserable few years and you're like, what did I do to deserve this? It's cause that is the, the karmic idea is like, you must've done something. Um, so (laughs) if you, so, so the nice thing about that is being like, well, maybe this is a karmic realignment. Cause in my last life I was, you know, uh, I don't know, a bylaw enforcement officer that was corrupt (laughs) And and yeah. took money to let curb infringement slide. Yeah, well, and that's just it, right? And it's not even <laughs> that you were that you were a person, right? Like you might be a person in this life, and sure. you may be reborn as a fly. And in your life as that sure. fly, you will experience whatever it is that you need to experience in order to write those scales. Um, right. There's Pen- penitence, I think it's called. I guess so. Not That's, so much that it's it's okay. kind of it it's. There's a story about. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to translate the words from sure, that I know of. Um, but it's almost like. Not to get too dark and murky. Um, one time I asked my grandfather, um, what Hinduism feels about euthanasia, uh, not euthanasia, but like you know, like for example, we talk about end of life care or like when people um i forget what that bill is called but it's like being able to choose when you die is that what it's called um that is that is euthanasia isn't it is that euthanasia i i my brain is not firing on all cylinders yeah it's it's um it's not assisted suicide exactly but it's it's sort of like assisted suicide yeah yeah um well and things like that um you know i had a relative who was very very sick with cancer and was just you know very slowly withering away in front Mm -hmm. of us and it was like well can we not do something like what is our it wasn't our call to make but it was it was something that i had wondered like what if we wanted to ease this person's suffering Mm -hmm. um but that almost goes against karma right like this person this soul is going to experience this that is nature taking its course because you have to even that suffering, like you are, whatever it is, like you are paying out karmic debt by living, whatever that is. 
Yeah, I guess it really comes down to a person's religious beliefs. From my perspective, I don't see any difference between um, helping someone end their life to save them from end-of-life suffering and and helping someone extend their life through, say, giving them a liver transplant or mm -hmm. giving them antibiotics. Yeah, and Um, and so to be clear, I'm not espousing this, right? But these are like some of the things that I've tangled with with karma is like just, you know, like how it can, how it kind of like almost like explains why we go through things sometimes. I I think it helps us feel a sense of meaning in things that can easily be perceived as meaningless. And I think that helps eliminate suffering. Giving people some explanation for why someone they loved deeply had to die horrifically mm-hmm. of, a, of a disease like cancer, like that, mm-hmm. that can be really powerful in someone's life to just give them that yeah. sense of like, all's right in the world and it'll be okay. And it'll be, yeah, exactly. Like my grandmother, um, when she broke her leg, uh, a second time, she was like, I don't know what this is. Like this fucking sucks, but okay. You know, here right. I am paying off i don't know what i fucking did in my past life like goddamn sure. past me but here i am you know i will get better but here i am paying off this debt like this is me right. going it's, through it it's great because it promotes acceptance and like a lot of things that are quite healthy i think yeah it's 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 pretty great yeah but also I'm, again, I'm mindful lots of, lots of layers of the onion to unpack and like i sure. said I, I i have this whole duality right like right. i have it's so it's so strange it's it's almost like that indian chaotic way of like this when you sit down and unpack it right like Mm -hmm. my personal beliefs and my kind of more south asian cultural hindu beliefs do not line up one-to-one right um and so it's like well i mean irene as a persona is a sex educator yeah I mean, that in and of itself almost doesn't line up with traditional <laughs> South Asian beliefs to have a I femme mean, sex educator. I disagree with that. Um, Tell me more. I'm, I'm super interested to hear. <laughs> I mean, it's the, the simplified version is that whole like India wrote the Kama Sutra. Sure. Right. That's the simplified version. Like if you look at ancient hindu temples there is so much about sex sexuality, and, sexuality and things like that and it was very much um during like that mogul empire invasion stage and all yes. of that kind of stuff that a lot of this was shunned so mm-hmm. to me i'm not was that was that the muslim empire yes so that was when islam was sort of ICIC was integrating into Hindu culture and there was a lot Mm -hmm. that was lost from traditional Hindu cultures. And so there was a lot of rewriting of books and it's like, no, no, you know, between that and the British, are you fucking kidding me? Like how many times have Indians been taught about morality, right? From other people. Right. Um, So. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Right. And so I think that that's why it's not seen as a thing. But really, when you start to, like, peel back history and it's like, no, no, like, why are, like, everyone in India goes about their daily fucking business while these temples, like, on their roofs have a gajillion and one statues depicting Mm -hmm. all kinds of sex acts. Like, there is anal and oral and all kinds of shit going on up there. Like, there's queer sex happening up there. Right, right. And right? Like, there's there's boobs on display and shit. Like, but no one bats an eye. Why? They don't, and they don't even put two and two together but like there was a lot of this stuff 
originally. Mm-hmm. So it, I, in a sense, I'm really not betraying my culture. I'm right. more betraying the current sense of morality and what is right. currently considered. Like you're actively rebelling against yeah. the colonial influence of Islam yes. and British Christianity. Yes. Yeah. That's that. That's a more accurate description of why it is that I... I actually really like that explanation. <laughs> I, I So I looked up a map of the Mughal Empire because... It, it, I remember it didn't get all the way south. It did take Madras, unfortunately. So there's a bit of my own personal yeah. pride that's hurt. But like Calcutta and like, I guess I should say Kolkata um, mm. and uh, the temple at Madurai um, were not taken. There you go. And they resisted the Mughal Empire and were not conquered, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So that's, yeah. So it's like, you know, I couldn't, I'm absolutely like, this is why I'm in the closet is because of morality. But mm-hmm. am I in the wrong? Probably not. I definitely don't think so. <laughs> um, I was just trying to think up um, a, an easy example of how those beliefs yeah. may not line up one to one. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like I said, it gets it gets weird and complicated, right? Like there's there's so much, there's so many different ways you can go about it. Like I mm-hmm. live I live in North America, but I'm you know South Asian, and you know the, the, things never line up one to one, and yet you know I I still believe in all of it yeah that's that's a lot to balance (laughs) it's it's definitely um i've always felt my life is a balancing act um Mm -hmm. and i balance i I do balance a lot and that's something that i'm very aware of and how much of an impact that can often take um Mm -hmm. because i'm not just balancing one thing i'm balancing multiple things right. right and so i want to be able to do x thing but i have y thing in this other realm of my world um, mm-hmm. so straddling culture is is interesting um but south asian diaspora i think i think the kids kids like me that are um born into our culture elsewhere we we kind of growing up we start to make our own meanings right and we've I've definitely started to explore like other South Asians like me that are in Vancouver and the sort of art and media that they're producing and how that mm-hmm. resonates with me on that duality level, right? Where it's deeply North American, but also deeply South Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things give me the most comfort and the most sense of community because for once it's like everything is right in the world. Yeah. I, I resonate pretty <laughs> yeah. hard with that. It's yeah. It's like when I'm around um, even even just other mixed race people and we can talk about mm-hmm. like mixed race stuff. It's a really yeah. like unique experience, but it's similar when I talk to other South Asians like yourself and it just feels like cool. Like we can chat about things like the Ramayana and we both sort of are sharing this, this cultural heritage. We're sharing mm-hmm. cultural memories yeah. of being told these stories. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give you another example. Um, uh, um, these two south asian queer women their sisters okay. uh they go by the name of their they the artists they call themselves cart cartel madras um <laughs> are, the, the two the, these two women they are rappers okay um and i stumbled across their work because a friend of mine um helped produce their track and film their music video mm. and i watched the music video and it hit me so differently like yes i've seen other women of color rappers like i i adore beyonce and i love Nicki minaj and cardi b and i think they're all absolutely fucking super cool and iconic in their own ways but it hit me completely differently to see two 
queer South Asian women yeah. being unapologetically brown living queer. in the North America and queer and living in a North American world and just marrying these two cultures in a way that I had never expected. Like there's a line in that song and it's bitch, I'm bad, I'm brown, I'm gold. <laughs> and that was like I, I, I latched onto that right away. And it's I yeah, it's so hard to explain it, but having things like that I, makes such a big difference. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I almost wish I'd had that growing up and I didn't, but I have it now. And so I really latch on to, to artists like that. And so Cartel Madras is now a big part of my life, even though it's just that one song, but, mm-hmm. um, and that one music video, but it's, there's a different kind of empowerment when it comes from people that are similar to you and your own culture and the, the feeling of permission it gives you. Mm-hmm. Right. Definitely. Just to like, be unapologetically yourself. Just to be unapologetically yourself. Like this is a South Asian. This is this is a South Asian person doing rap, saying these things. Like, if they can do it, then it's okay for me to do it. You know? Mm-hmm. It's not just a thing that other cultures do. It's a thing that people of my culture also do. Mm-hmm. That is what informs my sense of community more, I think. Yeah. And there's definitely like Indian traditions of spitting that are, you know, older. When I say spitting, do you know what I mean? Uh, no. It's like when I mean, when... you mean like Bon? Are you talking about Bon? No, I'm talking about when rappers speak very quickly and still enunciate clearly. There right. are Carnatic singing techniques that are very similar. I, does not surprise me. I've never heard this. Does not surprise me. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's. But I mean, we're seeing more and more of these fusion cultures that are sort of inspired from many different um, source cultures. Yeah. And I think it's important Um, to just recognize when we are borrowing other other cultural traditions like rapping and also to highlight what is uniquely us about it. Yeah, 110%, right? Like there's cultural appropriation, cultural appreciation and all that stuff. It, and especially in things that start to really blend mm-hmm. um, is always a tricky thing to unpack. Um, and I'm not going to dive too deep into that because sure. I don't want to like hold you captive for like another hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's true. Um, mm-hmm. Meaning meaning making um, and mm-hmm. even like you know, with, with my partner being white and me being South Asian and the ways that we, even within our relationship and relationship dynamics, mm-hmm. both of us pull from our respective cultures, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, that means so much more. Um, when my partner and I were looking into day callers, um, I proposed... I propose the idea of something being like the equivalent of a Mongol Sutra, which is um, the necklace that married Hindu women wear. Oh, that's very yeah. sweet. I like that. Right. And it just, it infuses such a deeper, like so much more of a deeper meaning, right? Women, you know, South Asian women wear a Mongol Sutra when they get married, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is your symbol of marriage to your husband. Well, this person is someone that I consider like my husband um, that I love and adore significantly. So why would I not want to wear something that is reminiscent of a Mongol Sutra that is also a day caller that honors and respects 
all of these different you know like it's a thing that brings into balance all those different parts right like it brings into balance my dynamics that is that in- is a really beautiful um do you do you identify more as ds or as owner property uh ds would be DS. would be the closer would Got be the you. closer yeah okay um yeah and so this is this is what i mean though like i keep all these things and you just take a little bit of this and a little bit of that and you slam it together so i i have a little i have a plain gold necklace and i left on the other side of the bedroom uh just because i took it off when i got home from work uh just to breathe for a little bit i'm probably actually gonna their collar and chill up in my room for a bit um my actual <laughs> one um uh yeah but it's 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 things like that i wear you know that's my that's my day collar it's very very subtle it's a gold chain with a little heart on it that's it right like it's very very simple i'm, I'm looking but... at pictures online right now and they're really beautiful yeah. i i hadn't i hadn't really seen lots of them or identified them specifically as 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 a sort of symbol of of marriage marriage yeah it's it's a married woman's ornamentation mongol sutra is that's why they have the black beads on them is that is what right. you wear when you get married it's not a fashion statement you do get fashionable ones um like you may have one mongols with it for every day and then you may have some that you're going to wear for more formal things but that sure. and sindur which is like a, a like a like a pink um powder that you place in the parting of your hair like those are your symbols of marriage mm-hmm. um in, in, in tv serials when when the when the um wife like angrily breaks her mongol sutra and she rips it off of her throat like of that's course. that's dramatic right like you were <laughs> you are doing some damage to your marriage you know what i mean right um so yeah like that that's what i mean is i i pull pull from both and it just creates that much deeper that much deeper meaning right and i pull from from their culture too right like if we're going to ever do an actual former formal coloring ceremony i'm going to pull from both there may be elements of hand fasting there may be elements of hindu marriage like i don't see any reason why i cannot have all of these things mm-hmm. totally yeah i am also now lost down the rabbit hole of looking at Indian wedding photos. And if there's one thing that will take up a lot of time, it's when you say to the internet, hey, are there any Indians out there that want me to look at their wedding photos? Oh, God. There's so many. <laughs> but the best ones but the best ones are the queer wedding photos. Those are my favorite. Um, All right. Now, now you've got me looking at queer Indian wedding photos. Do um, it. it. It just makes me so happy. They're oh my goodness! They're if for folks still listening, if you are still with us at this point somehow <laughs> through magic, um, you should look up queer Indian wedding photos. They're okay. pretty amazing. What are you looking at? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to Google this now just so I can see what you're looking at. I'm looking at a, I I um I'm looking at this gay couple that is mixed that is like um, yeah, different races. Aren't those photos great. And so the Indian the Indian groom has like a proper formal kurta on. And Mm -hmm. that is for those listening. Um, If you just sort of look up, I can, I suppose I can post a resource. If you just sort of look up um, like what a kurta looks like, like a formal kurta, you will see our formal wear. (laughs) Yeah. It is varied and amazing. And his, his groom has a suit and tie on because he is not Indian and it's just really neat to see that because I've definitely seen um, interracial weddings before 
or intercultural weddings where, mm-hmm. you know, the white partner will choose to sort of put on a lot of Indian clothing and and jewelry and stuff. And honestly, like it, it weirds me out a little bit because yeah. sometimes it's it's fairly borderline where it's like, cool, OK, I'm just going to look the other way and like try my best not to have an opinion. But mm-hmm. it it can sort of sometimes it can it can land a bit as like cultural tourism a little yeah it's it's tricky to unpack it is super tricky to unpack like i said i try not to have an opinion Mm -hmm. but yeah that is is the best i can do is like (laughs) voice a voice uh voice my doubts while trying not to have an opinion and just be like you do you try to do it respectfully Mm -hmm. yeah i yeah so but yeah there's a lot of this the queer pictures are amazing yeah, they they really like again one of those things where it's like yeah everything is right in the world like it's yeah because yeah. queerness sort of comes home to roost as it were yes um and it's just like again seeing all of the different parts of my world just kind of click into place mm-hmm. is very very satisfying um being able to spend time with my fiance is when all of these different parts of my world click into place right um Mm -hmm. it's what it's where there is a balance and i'm pulling again from all these different cultures um and at the same time completely subverting all of these different cultures by calling my fiance daddy they are non-binary they are still my daddy you Mm -hmm. know it's there's all kinds of you know things that i that i do and that i play around with and at the end of the day, it's chaotic, and sometimes you know people might be like, "What? What? what? That doesn't make sense," but it does. Yeah, no, I think there is there is definitely room for that flexing. There is definitely room for having these complicated identities that may never get unpacked, and trying to sort of fit together all the pieces in a way that still feels like home and that still works for us. Yeah, hundred and ten percent. I feel like I've done a fairly decent job of that. Hopefully. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have. I, I think ultimately only you can be the judge of that. But I mean, I'm That's sure true. you have. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> and with that, I think we're probably at the end of the recording. We've tackled all the Diwali questions. We talked a lot about Indian culture, which I really appreciate. And the experience of being part of that diaspora. And mm-hmm. yeah, how that differently impacts like different members of that diaspora even just having one white parent it really changes how a lot of that culture was inherited by me there was there was a lot more i think not opposition exactly but resistance to a Mm -hmm. lot of that desi culture like making its way down Mm -hmm. there was also a lot of racism in the town that i grew up in and i think to a large extent my parents were trying to protect me from some of that It's in a it, sort there's of, so many factors that go into this kind of stuff, right? It's kind of a misguided way to protect someone, though. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I got, to my knowledge, that much less racism. There was still a lot growing up. So it was sort of like, mm-hmm. I would have rather just like had more of my culture. But I mean, who knows? Maybe if they had, you know, taught me more and I had felt much more Indian, I might be um, more frustrated at, at the amount of racism I did get and think, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so hard yeah. to tell. Like, it's, we can't really compare. Yeah, it's it's a strategy of, you know, um, safety in assimilating, right? Yeah. Like, if you, if you appear like the others, then, or if you act like them, then you're not as, as strange and foreign. Um, 
And I, I went to high school in South Surrey just because my parents were like, go to that one. It's a, it's a good school and we want to put you there. Um, and I was one speck of brown and a whole sea of white. And, right. you know, it's not, it wasn't a place where I could share my culture. You know, mm-hmm. it was, it was very much a conform and then they'll ask you less questions mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So I did that too, right? And to for me, it's kind of wild when I'm I was driving home from work and Happy Diwali greetings were on the radio that was on like on Virgin, and I was like, that is wild. Mm-hmm. That didn't happen when I was a child, right? You know, and so stuff like that, right? Like it's just the things we do to conform, but then times change and cultures change, <sighs> and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a lot. It is. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for parsing all of that with me and <laughs> having the conversation. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. It was a lot of fun. You know, it was really hilarious. There were like what? three times because my rescue cat has just been like sleeping on the bed behind me. And there have been like several times where she just like passed out in an awkward position and then started snoring. Aww. And at first I was like, I hope this doesn't make it onto the recording. And then I was like, I hope this makes it onto the recording. <laughs> So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sikwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.